So I'd like to introduce Victor Lazzarini from the Department of Music. And his talk is Advances in Nonlinear Distortion Methods of Synthesis and Processing the Music Signals. Without further ado. Hello, everyone. Uh, before we, we go into the talk, I just want to have a plink plink sort of moment here where we could just go for a little commercial. This is the Linux Audio Conference 2011 happening uh, in Logic House, uh, the South Campus. I give you a good opportunity to go down to South Campus once in a while. Uh, this is happening uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, May 6th to 8th of May, first week of May, um, where uh, we're going to have lectures, workshops, uh, concerts, exhibitions, and also a club night here at the this side on the, the um, uh, student union. Uh, it's, based, it's an international conference based on, on, on basically uh, computer music, audio programming, and all things uh, open software. Uh, and uh, FOSS, FLOSS software, uh, free, libre, or an open software uh, <coughs> systems. Um, just to give you a kind of a taste of what we're going to be, this is the uh, Find here. This is the the program here uh, that we the we're going to have a uh, an invited session on Friday where uh, we're going to be talking about music programming languages and parallelism and various international speakers talking for different from different uh, uh, different systems. Uh, Faust from France, BWJL from Finland, CSAM from England. Uh, and PD from uh, Austria, and talking about different things. And then we have uh, a number of uh, paper sessions. We have 21 papers altogether uh, on various, uh, various things, uh, from synthesis to uh, computer languages, uh, radio, uh, even radio, uh, radio broadcast with Linux, and um, uh, audio infrastructure, um, and also there are a number of workshops happening in parallel. So it's a, it's a very, should be a very interesting conference. Uh, if you're thinking of coming, at least if you're thinking for coming, even for one session, please go here and register because uh, by registering, you won't, don't pay anything, uh, by, but by registering, you will give us a boost because uh, we're going to be funded uh, for participants. So it's, it will help a lot uh, if, you, if, you, if you can if you can come along, please come along uh, and to our sessions. But even if you come in just for a single paper that you're interested, uh, please register so that, that we'll, uh, we know you're coming and we can also prepare for, for your conference. It's, com it's a completely free conference and there will be concerts and installations and other things happening. So uh, please come along. So this is uh, just a, a bit of a commercial. Now uh, we've, we'll go into the main fair which is uh, my talk on advances in nonlinear distortion methods of synthesis and processing of musical signals. A bit of a mouthful, but um, what I'm talking today is basically um, a series of correlate techniques for sound synthesis and for sound processing that have been developed along the years since uh, the, kind of the, the development of computer music and development of um, uh, digital signal processing in, uh, in general purpose computers um, and the, for, for musical use. And it, it's a series of techniques that have been developed very, um, very, uh, very much in the 1970s and then 1980s and the 1990s, they kind of went into a bit, bit of a dormant state until uh, recently in the past five, six years and things started to bubble up again in it. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll have, the talk will be in two sort of main sections. The first, first I'll introduce the, sec the area and, the, uh, and talk about the background and the techniques that have been developed along the years. Uh, finally, then to, to then talk about the, the, the new advances and uh, uh, the kind of the state of the art in, 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 within, in this area. So, um, so starting then with the background, um, this, uh, whole, this whole area really started up with uh, the development of uh, computer music and uh, 
the possibilities of that general purpose computers uh, started to give to 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 music so uh, one of the first first uh, guys who started working with something in the area uh, in computer music were uh, Gottfried Winhan and um, Ken Steiglitz. Uh, Steiglitz, of course, someone was uh, kind of a bit of a Renaissance man who has been sort of uh, working from everything from particle physics to uh, all the way to filters, and uh, he's actually one of the, the great uh, sort of fathers of digital filters um, uh, when his kind of groundbreaking work with the bilinear transform in the kind of late 50s. Uh, but he, they kind of published a, a very short letter in. Uh, talking about closed form summation, which is uh, something very obvious, but they were first pe first people to sort of realize, oh, that's, there's a great potential in this. Something that was well known for centuries, but had a, a good application for sound synthesis. <clears throat> then, uh, I think the most, the classic example of these techniques, and the most successful, perhaps commercially, uh, uh, is the, uh, the the advent of FM synthesis that, wa that was um, uh, developed by John Chowning, uh, uh, building up on now the theory of FM radio uh, that was developed from the 1930s onwards, and then he just bringing it down to audio rate uh, signals and to and then being able then to sort of develop that in the as a very very efficient and useful technique uh, for the digital for the digital computer and of course fm synthesis then was patented by yamaha and the x7 uh, all sorts of, uh, was kind of uh, a ubiquitous presence in music in the 1980s as you all know uh, all came from from there uh, the next guy that i want to mention is uh, a murer who uh, is a real sort of audio man. Uh, he's uh, he's been work. He worked in the the audio in audio industry for many years. And he his first work, his PhD work was on uh, discrete summation formally, which was coming uh, as kind of an extension of a closed form summation, but uh, uh, providing various other form formula that could be used for synthesis. And uh, so he, he provided some very interesting and useful techniques in mid-50s. <clears throat> then you have Mark Lebrun, who developed digital uh, wave shaping, together with uh, Daniel Arthib in France. Uh, independently, they published papers on, on the techniques of wave shaping, which uh, had been uh, known for, for, for many years for, for music and were, were used in, in the analog world, but then they kind of really formalized it uh, in terms of digital signals. Um, then you have uh, uh, Ishibashi, is a, 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 um, an engineer from uh, Casio who developed the idea of phase distortion, uh, and, uh, patented in 1985. But clearly, something that uh, Yamaha didn't like very much because they sued them because the two techniques of, uh, of FM synthesis and phase distortion are really very close to get close. But uh, indeed, it was the phase distortion was an interesting thing because it was a much more intuitive sort of approach to the same problem than uh, FM synthesis. <clears throat> and this story kind of sort of grinds to a halt in 1995 when the last Kind of major paper in uh, uh, using these types of techniques was published uh, by Emile Pouquet uh, with PATH, uh, which stands for Phase Aligned Formant Synthesis. Also stands for pat Patent Applied For. He was pissed off that uh, IRCAM had patented his technique. He didn't want to, it clearly didn't want it to be patented, and but IRCAM went and patented it. So he published a paper, uh, but no one could actually. Uh, uh, use this because there was a patent and the synthesizers couldn't be built. Start, uh, they had to pay money to income, and no one was wanting to do that. So, PATH uh, was kind of the, the, the kind of last kind of developments in the kind of this early sort of phase of distortion synthesis. <clears throat> so, uh, so this is a kind of a historical background. Now, uh, let's talk about the problem uh, and see what. Is what is what this, that these guys were trying to solve and trying to 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 kind of a, uh, find uh, interesting means of doing. <clears throat> Basically, the the problem is a very simple problem in music, uh, which is 
how do we generate a complex time involving sound composed of many discrete components, uh, harmonic or inharmonic. Uh, uh, so all these partials, how do you create something like that? Uh, this is basically how do you synthesize sound for musical uses. <clears throat> okay, so uh, there are basically two ways of doing this, um, two main ways of doing this. One which I call the brute force approach. Uh, and this uh, is what, what they did in 1969, was to use one sinusoidal oscillator plus a pair of envelopes for amplitude and frequency per partial, mix all the sources together, and then you can create this time-evolving sound, which means, uh, actually the name for this is adjective synthesis. And um, you see people like um, uh, Jean-Claude Hisset sort of developing instruments that do, that does do, uh, that do adjective synthesis but um, really at, at a real uh, computational cost, a high computational cost, so much that you had to reduce their data, uh, use sort of one uh, envelope only, or uh, use just a few oscillators in order to get it pra uh, uh, implemented in, in practice in those computers, uh, which of course were less powerful than a mobile phone is today. Uh, so this is the brute force approach, uh, but there was a, another way around, and this is what we call the elegant solution. Of course, I'm going to call it the elegant solution because this is all, all I want to talk about today, no to talk about additive synthesis. But uh, it's elegant because it's kind of clever. It finds, finding a way of combining a few simple sources, so you start with a couple of oscillators, for instance, and then and you generate lots of components. And not most importantly, you generate lots of components that can be shaped in time, can be transformed, because of course you could uh, very easily uh, calculate the, um, uh, using say uh, 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 the Fourier series of any sound, uh, to calculate uh, the wave shape and play it back repeating the, the cycles, but that's, that's dull, doesn't sound nice because it doesn't evolve in time. You want something that can be changing timbre in time, changing um, characteristics in time. That's the whole musical uh, uh, idea behind it is when you can actually have dynamic spectra, which is spectra that change in time. <clears throat> so this is the elegant solution. Um, so this is what these guys were tr all trying to do in different ways. So if we kind of state this problem in a more um, kind of precise way, this is what you have. Okay, this is basically what we want to achieve. It's basically a series of uh, components of different amplitudes, different frequencies, uh, amplitudes A, K, different frequencies, omega K, with possibly different phases as well. Uh, and this you know, are completely independent parameters, and you want to basically sum them all and get a complex spectrum. And possibly time, and of course, time varying, all the uh, amplitudes, frequencies will be time varying phases, possibly not phase fixed. Uh, but uh, so you want something that can be uh, um, made like that. So, in other words, we want to generate a sound with n components mixed together, each component with amplitude AK, frequency omega K, which is uh, to pi FK T, uh, and T is time in, in uh, well, discrete time in samples, um, and then uh, phase uh, phi K. Um, okay, the simplest uh, case of this is a pulse wave with n harmonic components, which is this thing here. So that's the kind of a, this, the, the simplest form of that thing. So you have then components that are uh, integer multiples uh, uh, of, a, of a fundamental, and uh, they all have the same amplitude. <coughs> okay. Um, so um, that is what then uh, close form, form uh, su summation uh, uh, um, achieves. <clears throat> so this is the f the, f the thing that uh, uh, Winhan and Staglitz came came with, came up with. The first of these ways to combine sinusoids is to create a harmonic series employing a well-known mathematical device, a closed form uh, sum. Uh, and you know this well uh, is a well-known uh, closed form sum. Okay, uh, and this then, okay, can be uh, achieved then 
well, that is very similar to what we had before. So what we can do then is just transform that to make up um, uh, a closed form sum here. And that's, what, that's the, the result that we have. Uh, it's a very well-known identity as well. Uh, you know, this is, has been known for a couple of centuries, possibly or more. Uh, but what is more so important here, what we need to have is a couple of oscillators, okay, and you, pick, you produce the signal of them and apply them here in this expression. And you obtain a spectrum that can have varying numbers of harmonics by just by setting the n here, whatever n. And you can vary that dynamically. Although when, when you change n, the, what the effect is the harmonic is going to pop up. So you're going to have a little bling. Every time you change n, uh, increase n, you get a new, new harmonic popping up. So that's a kind of a side effect of this. But this is very interesting because <clears throat> it produces a very cheap it's a very cheap broadband uh, signal generator, which can be used then for various applications. For instance, can be used for uh, uh, for speech reproduction, so to reproduce the, uh, the the sound of the glottis, for instance, uh, more or less. Okay, uh, and uh, lots lots of use that for music <coughs> um, with uh, in, in subtra subtractive synthesis, where you use a filter to do that. <coughs> yeah. Oh, it doesn't matter because this is just a single. Uh, the time variable goes into inside there. Uh, you can. Okay. It's just that uh, just it gets some some inside there. Okay, but then we have a sign of a, at the denominator there. We have a sign of something that could be zero. No, but then this this is where this this is not doesn't exactly work all the time. So when this is zero, it's a special case. You have to resolve it. There are a couple of ways of resolving. One is to revert to a, 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 a sum that doesn't use sines, use cosines. The other way is just use one over two n for your for your signal. Uh, so yeah, it can become zero. And division, this is not great as well in terms of computation because you have a division here. And division is not a great thing for computers to handle um, in general. Or at least at that time. Um, so, what you go for there um, is then, um, well, this is the first step. But then you came, uh, John Chowning uh, in 1973 with his classic article in the uh, Audio Engineering Society uh, Journal, um, which produced a, a special case of a closed form summation. Um, he worked out, of course, this is something that people knew for a long, long time in, in, uh, in telecommunications, in, in radio, uh, radio telecommunications. But he worked out that this could produce very interesting spectrum. Uh, because here, you, what you have here is then um, a couple of oscillators, so a cosine and a sine there, uh, different frequencies, and, um, and you have then uh, a, a parameter there, k, which can produce uh, uh, varying, varying amounts of components. By varying k there, you can produce various amounts of components. Uh, this spectrum <coughs> has uh, lots of advantages. This um, formula has lots of advantages over the previous one. One is much simpler to calculate. The other, the other one, because it, this is the synthesis formula, that's what your the expansion is. So you, this is very simple to calculate, and you produce something that's quite can be quite complex. You have uh, uh, components that can have can be harmonic or can be inharmonic depending on the relationship between the two frequencies, and you can have varying amounts of these by varying the spectrum. Um, so the characteristics of these things are that uh, you have this Bessel coefficient there to scale each component. Now, that's probably the downside of this. The downside, and the up, for, for some people, this is the downside. For other people, it's kind of what it makes is special. Uh, but I'll come to that in a minute. Then you have double-sided double spectrum. So it's sidebands that are below and above uh, a certain uh, omega c, okay, uh, which is the carrier frequency. And, uh, and you have then this parameter k, which is the index of modulation, it's a very uh, intuitive parameter that if you pull it up, you get more components. You pull it down, you get less components. When k is zero, for instance, you only get a sine wave. So uh, that's uh, quite useful. <clears throat> uh, 
Although this is not band limited, it can be made nearly band limited, can, so you can avoid aliasing in, in that's it, which is an important consideration for um, for digital digital audio. <coughs> um, so I said about the Bethesda coefficients. This is um, a kind of a plot of the uh, of uh, Bethesda coefficients going from zero to j zero to j five. Now this. Um, uh, these coefficients then scale each one of the components of the FM spectrum. So we have here uh, the index of modulation, and this is the level of output. As you can see, when index of modulation is zero, you only have output in the uh, uh, in the carrier frequency, which is the blue thing there. Now, the, what this tells us is that uh, as you change the index of modulation, the components are going to be coming up and down and be wobbling like that, because you can see this fluctuates quite a lot. So this is something that is characteristic of the FM sound. It's kind of a wobble in the spectrum as you change the index of modulation. Uh, it was thought to be a, a very interesting novelty at, at the time, but I think five minutes later people thought, oh yeah, that's getting tired of, of these things because uh, it's kind of not really natural because normally you have a spectra that gets brighter or gets duller, but you don't have this kind of wobble uh, uh, in general, uh, in kind of a natural instruments. So um, again, it's a kind of a, a double-edged uh, sword. Gives an interesting sound, characteristic to FM, but it sort of limits its usefulness for, say, the reproduction of the natural spectrum. Um, so then you have then the work of uh, Murer, which is discrete summation formally. Um, now, what, uh, what Murray did was, he, he basically looked at uh, uh, Steiglitz and, and thought, well, but that's not, clearly not the only one that we know about. And then he went on a search for useful uh, closed form uh, uh, summation formula that could be used in, in synthesis. And then he sort of uh, found a few of them that are kind of useful. This one produces uh, kind of a single-sided spectrum there. And again, here you have you can produce e uh, both uh, a sound that has uh, harmonic and inharmonic spectra by com by basically deciding what the ratio between these two frequencies, omega and theta, are. <clears throat> um, then you have um, for a kind of a band limited spectrum. Then you have uh, in general this this kind of formula, which is much bigger and much more you know, intensive. But here you can guarantee that you have only, only N components. So this is good for, uh, for uh, applications where aliasing is, uh, is not uh, desirable. But with that equation there, it's, although it's not unlimited, you can still uh, sort of by controlling the amount of modulation, or JK there, uh, you can uh, kind of re reproduce the spectrum. Um, complementing this, he also found that, uh, like FM, you could find summation formula that were uh, double-sided. So you have a, a, a central frequency and you have frequencies around that. And that's uh, a non-bundlimited uh, double-sided formula. <clears throat> uh, then you have then a bundlimited uh, uh, double-sided form. So you can see the band limited, the, to get band limited signals you pay a price of having more calculations to, uh, to do. But, uh, so it, it really, uh, it, it, that's the price you pay. But in general, you, you have this parameter G here, which controls the amount of spectral uh, richness. So it's kind of a distortion index or modulation index in DSF, and it can be used then to change the the spectrum, uh, and also it can be used to by limiting this, you can sort of aliase suppress or try to reduce the amount of aliasing that we have. <coughs> the next one that uh, is kind of interesting is nonlinear wave shaping, uh, which is the what Lebrun and Arfib did in the kind of late 70s. Um, Basically, what we're talking about here is a method that produces components by distorting the shape of a sinusoid. If you take in a sinusoid and apply, apply it to a function, and if this function is nonlinear, 
you're going to then produce a number of harmonic components. So for instance, if you have a, a nonlinear function like this, you, get, you produce uh, a couple components. Uh, and uh, the advantage of nonlinear wave shaping is that if you use polynomials, uh, um, and then uh, you will basically um, produce, uh, uh, if, if you're using polynomials, then you're going to basically produce uh, a bun-limited spectrum as well. And the, the, the ordered polynomial will tell, the, will tell you the highest harmonic of the sum. So it's kind of a, this is a kind of a graphical illustration um, of what, what happens. You have then a, a sine wave that is nonlinear mapped, and you produce a distorted shape there. Now, this is a common thing, has been used in many musical applications, and not only in, in digital uh, synthesis, actually, more used in, in analog audio. At, this, uh, at the time of this, when this was discussed, it was more used in analog audio. For instance, in tube amplifiers, you get uh, a kind of saturation which is the same uh, thing as nonlinear distortion of amplitudes uh, or wave shaping. <coughs> Interesting connections that you can find between all these techniques to show that they are all basically part of the same thing. Uh, DSF can be implemented with wave shaping. For instance, uh, if you take that expression there uh, as the um, as, kind of a, as a function, as a nonlinear function that you want to sort of implement, then you, if you apply a cosine there, then you get, this is basically the DSF formula that you have here, um, uh, and, and so on. So, and if you have this thing here, uh, uh, you, can, you, you come up with that expression there. Uh, so, it's effectively the, the, the two, two sort of sides of the same coin, effectively. And the same with FM. FM and wave, shape, uh, wave shaping can be equated. So if you use a, a trigonometrical identity, uh, you come up with this expression here. Uh, so you have FM there, and you come up with this expression that uh, uses two, uh, two, two signals summed together, uh, mixed together. Uh, these are heterodyne signals, ring-modulated signals, but they are Effectively, two wave shapers, a cosine wave shaper and a sine wave shaper here, applied to a cosine and a sine input, <coughs> or to, to sine inputs, for instance. So it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that way. Uh, so there are connections there. Um, <coughs> now, um, the other techniques that we said, uh, the kind of the classic techniques, um, uh, are basic phase distortion and path. Phase distortion uh, is uh, based on a kind of a nonlinear phase function, so it's actually connected to wave shaping. But instead of uh, now, instead of shaping the, the the amplitude, we're trying to shape the phase of a signal. So a linear phase then can be distorted into a nonlinear uh, nonlinear phase or piecewise kind of a linear function there, but it's kind of a nonlinear function. Um, so that is kind of a this will be uh, kind of a a linear phase, and then you have the distorted phase there, uh, and you produce then uh, by uh, by distorting the phase of a, a cosine there, um, you can obtain then uh, the solid line there, which is kind of a sawtooth-like shape. So this is uh, uh, the whole idea of phase distortion. Now, phase distortion uh, turns out to be FM, effectively a complex waveform of FM, because you can uh, I always rewrite this expression here in terms of a, a modulator and a carrier signal. Um, so, to the, the phase distortion sawtooth is basically uh, constructed by having this distortion function here, which is that uh, piecewise linear or uh, function there with these two segments connected. Uh, and then you can then apply that you're kind of a discrete phase signal. So this is the, the, phase, uh, the phase signal, and uh, it's just a recirculating phase, effectively a rising, a rising sawtooth like that, and, uh, and, and then used to provide the time-varying phase of a sinusoid like that. 
The interesting thing about phase distortion is that it's quite intuitive because you can look, uh, uh, assess it geometrically. <coughs> so to obtain other shapes, you can assess the geometry of the phase distortion function and, uh, and produce different things. For instance, you can produce, uh, by taking up a sine wave there and applying, cosine wave that, applying uh, uh, um, different types of, uh, of um, distortion to the phase, you can obtain then uh, different uh, widths of pulse here, for instance. So uh, you can see here, these are the different distortion functions and these are different pulses. So you can do something that's very common in music applications, which is the uh, phase, uh, sorry, pulse width modulation. So with, uh, uh, changing the width of the pulse from um, square wave to a narrow, a narrow pulse. <clears throat> um, in between kind of uh, the, the 1980s, there, there's, um, there's a paper that almost went um, unnoticed around. And this is very interesting work by Palamin and uh, colleagues, uh, building on the work from Moore and the work on Chowning, uh, providing um, an interesting uh, formula that can allow you to change the symmetry of the double-sided FM spectrum. So this basically introduces um, another signal there, uh, which is a, a an exponential um, or a cosine being uh, basically transformed by ex an exponential wave shaper. Um, and then uh, heterodyne the two signals, and you produce a spectrum that is like this, which is the FM spectrum here, but with an extra uh, kind of a, uh, an extra scalar there. And that allows you to kind of move the central point of the spectrum up uh, above, because generally the central point of the spectrum is at the carrier. This allows you to, to change it to above the carrier or below the carrier, which can be uh, uh, the center of the symmetry of the spectrum. And this can, uh, can be kind of an interesting uh, uh, curve here. Uh, interesting, interesting spectral shape and producing interesting effects. Um, and finally, then the work of uh, of Puff uh, from Miller Puket, um, where you have then uh, a ring modulation of a sinusoid with a complex wave, uh, which actually comes from again from one of uh, Moore's uh, shape uh, formula. Uh, this, uh, so that basically produces, uh, this, that's um, a closed form, that's a closed form uh, summation of that uh, uh, spectrum there. And that can be then, uh, can be re realized with uh, two signals. One which is a carrier, which is only a sine wave, a sinusoidal or cosine wave in this case, uh, uh, a cosine carrier and a modulator. Um, and so it's kind of a ring modulation of, of uh, cosine with a um, carrier with, with this modulator. Uh, so <clears throat> the modulator, interestingly, the modulator can be then uh, be constructed with wave shaping. So you apply uh, a wave shaping um, f uh, function here, which is this one here, to a sine wave signal <clears throat> and produce the modulator. So again, very cheap techniques to implement, uh, and uses everything that we saw, uses uh, the DSF and wave shaping, and kind of joins up uh, all the sort of draws of the, the, the field kind of nicely together. Um, so this is what was there, and uh, up until the mid-2000s, mid there's nothing really, no, no major works from, from up until mid-2000s. I'm not going to kind of digress on why this was, but uh, since then, uh, there are a number of new contributions that have been proposed, which are kind of interesting and produce uh, kind of a new perspectives in, in the area. Uh, the first one is additive FM synthesis, where you uh, <coughs> suddenly remove your sine wave as a carrier and use any uh, uh, arbitrary signal to as a carrier wave, 
And you have something called split sideband synthesis, which is a means of splitting all the sidebands of FM and uh, uh, controlling them separately. Um, you have something called adaptive phase distortion synthesis, since you have adaptive FM. Adaptive phase distortion is just one step ahead of that. Um, now, uh, one area that has been developed a lot in the kind of past 15 years is uh, the virtual analog model, strange model. Uh, sort of uh, analog gear. And um, the hyperbolic tangent uh, has been a, an interesting, it's an interesting shape that can be used for wave shaping to create, to generate, uh, to kind of create oscillators, um, in, uh, virtual analog oscillators. Uh, then you have uh, modified FM synthesis, which is kind of a, a recasting of the FM synthesis formula. And uh, We've been working this vector phase shape, which is very, uh, we're just, just hot off the press, and it's kind of working with that idea uh, uh, on a new paper now. It's kind of a, uh, an interesting, kind of fun technique to, to play with. Um, so, <clears throat> adaptive methods then. You have um, adaptive FM synthesis is basically the idea of, of uh, using uh, FM synthesis to have. Uh, as an adaptive effect to create hybrid and natural synthetic tones. In this case, you all have to do is substitute one of the signals. In this case, it's the carry wave by, uh, by this uh, arbitrary input and find a means of distorting it. Um, and of course, because of these methods, we need to trap the frequency of the signal. Uh, either the phase or frequency of the carrier has to be modulated. Then we can apply. Um, a set carrier which modulator basis and produce uh, certain types of spectrum. Um, so for adaptive FM synthesis uh, and some illustrated methods, we need to find a means of uh, modulating the frequency of the carrier. This can be done by using a variable delay line or modulated audio rates or by heterodyne. So this is a flow chart. You use a, a variable delay line here, which will do your phase modulation for you. Um, and the other one is, or oh, you use some heterodyne. Uh, heterodyne is a kind of wave shaping here, using the idea of uh, FM synthesis uh, as um, uh, reworked as, as wave shaping, which we mentioned before. Uh, so this here, uh, here we have some sounds uh, of this. See, this is steady uh, state spectrum of the flute tone, and then. Uh, Process flute tone. And here is an example of it. Flute tone. Okay. Sideband synthesis just to give you a run of what we have. It's possible then to transform, produce a, uh, uh, FM spectrum 
that where you can split the sidebars in four groups, uh, then it will be the um, <coughs> the upper even, upper odd, lower even, lower odd. So by applying some uh, kind of a matrix uh, <coughs> expression there and using the Hebrew transform to shift signals, you can obtain that. And then you can control these things, these all these different sidebands separately. So you can have the four sidebands there, for instance. And then they all can be mixed together, can be specialized, can be uh, removed and changed. So that's kind of a useful thing. So this is a kind of flow chart of that expression. Um, now, you can also do uh, adaptive uh, uh, SPSP because uh, you can then apply uh, a signal here uh, and take the Hubert transform of it and then produce an uh, adaptive version of that. Uh, instead of using a sign of carrier, you use then uh, an arbitrary input. Um, <clears throat> phase distortion then. Uh, also, it can be done. Uh, you can apply ad, uh, arbitrary signals to provide kind of a, an arbitrary for adaptive form technique. There are two ways of doing this. One is using something that is called a coefficient modulated outpass filter, uh, and so with that you can uh, uh, change the input signal phase, uh, distort it using a periodic uh, uh, first-order periodic time-varying filter. Uh, which is something that's not a lot of people know about uh, and interesting. And when you write these things, people start doubting that they, they can ever be worked. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a, uh, an interesting technique. Uh, and then, um, uh, basically, if you use a unipolar non-positive modulator signal, it, the, you have a, 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 a PLTV that's effective outpass. So it allows us to change just the phase, not the, uh, not the amplitude of the signal. Um, so, uh, and also you can do it by heterodyne modes, so uh, kind of a, by rearranging the, the FM equation, uh, the phase modulation equation, uh, which is effectively PD. <coughs> um, hyperbolic tangent wave shaping. Um, the hyperbolic wave shaping method can be useful for uh, virtual arc models of classic waveform oscillators. So you effectively can produce a square wave or very close square wave by using this, this uh, transfer function here under wave shaping, which is the hyperbolic tangent. Or any, really, any sigmoid, but the hyperbolic tangent is the, the nicest of them all. Um, also, uh, from this, you can produce sawtooth waves as well by just applying an expression. Uh, so here you have the spectrum of uh, of a hyperbolic tangent wave shape, just the solid one, and then the adjective synthesis, uh, bun limited adjective synthesis one in in the dots, and this is the sawtooth and the bun limited sawtooth adjective synthesis sawtooth in there. Now there's a bit of sound here. That's the, the sound of this wave. So this is a kind of a uh, electronic harpsichord sound, kind of remind, uh, sort of modeling the the old RMI electronic harpsichord, uh, which is done with this type of sawtooth wave. Uh, simple flow chart of this uh, of this uh, oscillator. So you have very just a couple of uh, wave shapers there, um, or just the sine waves, and then you have one wave shaper, and then this here is to just provide the normalization. Is a kind of function to provide normalization. Um, now, the next thing is the idea of modified FM synthesis. Um, the modified FM synthesis uh, 
tries to address the problem that you have with FM, which is this wobble of, of the Bessel functions. Um, so in order to do that, you, you will develop a spectrum that have uh, modified Bessel, function, Bessel coefficients in the, in the expansion. Uh, to do that, you have to start off with a, a purely imaginary index of modulation. So you can see that our k, which is our index of modulation, is, is going to be purely imaginary. And so this, with this kind of a complex uh, signal modulation, uh, you can rework the formula to come out with this synthesis formula here, which is your, our synthesis formula, and producing a spectrum that has these um, modified Bessel functions there. Now, these modified Bessel functions are scaled by the <coughs> by that uh, exponential there, uh, that inverse exponential. And so this modified, normal, uh, that normalized the modified Bessel function. The, these normalized Bessel functions are uni unipolar, they're decreasing. So they're, they kind of give you a better behaved spectrum. And you have lots of applications. One of them is uh, bundling the classic and analog waveform generation. But lots of other uses and we'll show you a few others later on in the few slides. Uh, now, these are the mod normalized modified Bessel functions. So you see they're, they're much better behaved than the, the, uh, uh, the original Bessel coefficients. So um, they don't wobble. And so it kind of a, it's more useful for musical applications, for certain types of musical applications. We can extend that. Uh, modified FM uh, by um, combining that uh, the modified F FM bit with an FM modulator there uh, or phase modulator there. Now, <clears throat> the expansion of this is not pretty. It's this thing here, uh, which is kind of a bit hard to kind of, a, it's not really, doesn't tell us much. Um, but with certain values of, of R, which scales the, the amount of uh, modified amount of the cosine in the, the exponential, and S, which amounts, uh, um, which uh, kind of controls the amount of F normal uh, phase modulation, uh, you can have, uh, uh, with these different values of this, you can have kind of quite simple spectrum, quite under, well understood spectrum. So if R is 1 and S is 0, you have original mode FM, modified FM. If R is 0 and S is not 0, you have classic FM synthesis. Just, uh, and with R, S is equal to 1, or R equal to 1 and S, uh, R equal to minus 1 and S equal to 1, you have a single sideband spectrum. <clears throat> because uh, it turns out to be this expression, which is interesting because it's kind of an FM synthesis uh, mode of FM synthesis. It doesn't have either modified uh, or original Bessel coefficients. It has this thing here. It just turns out that this is very close to a modified uh, Bessel coefficient. In fact, we, we, as a side effect of this, we're able to find uh, uh, an, uh, an approximation to modified Bessel coefficients that I hadn't seen. Uh, anyway, actually, an approximation modified Bessel functions, so where, where n can be real, uh, which I hadn't seen before. It's actually an interesting uh, thing that's kind of a side effect of this, this work. So this is the, these are the different types of spectra you can get within values of S. So you can get a you know, full spectra and then have single-sided spectra and so on. And you can vary them continuously. So you can have the different things in between all these Spectra, which is kind of interesting uh, on its own. Um, now, if you apply um, some different principles in the implementation of, of modified FM, if we implement modified FM by synchronizing carrier modulator phases, uh, then we have an interesting formant resonance synthesis method, which is very close to, well, produces a spectrum that's very close to path before. So this is the flow chart. You have, uh, here's the fundamental phase for the fundamental signal. Uh, for, uh, then you have the kind of a, a detune phase, so you can detune the, uh, the components. Uh, then you have two carriers that are tuned to around the format frequency. 
but also possibly the tune and shifted. Um, you have the modulator that's tuned to the fundamental frequency here, and then you have the modulation index proportional to the bandwidth of your of your signal, uh, and this is the produces sounds like this. produce sounds like this as well. So these are all these types of signals, resonant signals, can be produced with uh, this form of the technique. Uh, now, com this, because this technique is so kind of flexible, you can have then combine that with some other analysis methods. For instance, we can use a common filter analysis here uh, with pitch and amplitude tracking and use modified formant, FM formant operators which are based on that uh, uh, phase synchronous things. And that can be used then for uh, an analysis synthesis, a formant analysis synthesis uh, thing. So for instance, you have an original signal like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that yeah, yeah, yeah. produced by, the, by this synthesizer there. Uh, then you can do all sorts of musical modification yeah, 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 yeah. by changing the, yeah, 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 yeah. the formant yeah, 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 yeah. positions, yeah, 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 yeah. which is kind of a yeah, yeah, kind of gender changing yeah, 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 yeah. thing. Or, or you can uh, do some cross synthesis, for instance, uh, take up a, a Union Pipes sound and do, say, a morph from a voice to Union Pipes. So that's, um, and uh, one step forward from that, th that technique is out of real time because you have to do the formant analysis before uh, and then you can synthesize it in real time, but you have to have the data before you do. Now for real time applications, you can have a similar thing here uh, whereby we have a kind of filter bank uh, analysis and uh, instead of the common filter and then you, you kind of run the operators from there. A similar thing. <clears throat> um, and finally, just the last technique I wanted to talk about is uh, the vector phase shipping, which is something that we're doing, uh, working on at the moment. It, it is extending phase distortion by defining uh, one or more inflection points in the, uh, with two dimensions, D and V. So you can have uh, then uh, kind of a, with one inflection point, for instance, this is what we have. Uh, uh, the uh, D is limited to the 0 to 1 range, but V can vary uh, to any uh, non-negative value. And you can have much, multiple inflection points. So for instance, this is the uh, examples of different waveforms that you can have by uh, changing your inflection points. Uh, and um, I can show you uh, an example uh, later, but I will, I will conclude now. And if if, there, if if you want to hear the examples, I can play them later. So the uh, basically distortion techniques provide this kind of efficient and elegant ways of synthesizing uh, novel uh, novel sounds, and uh, and also uh, very economically. Uh, and very computationally efficient 
Um, and you have then uh, a number of novel formulations that have rescued the area from the oblivion uh, and provide a number of advances. Um, these techniques flourished in the brave days of computer music when you didn't have enough computer power to, to drive uh, any synthesis. Uh, but there are still interesting possibilities in them. Uh, also, because they're economic, because then you can run them on, on small devices, because we seem to be going backward now with computation, because you know, computers that people are using, like uh, tablet computers, are um, kind of uh, backwards in terms of operating system and in terms of, um, of computation power. So there might be a space as well for economic techniques in, this, uh, in these environments. Thank you very much. Okay. So you have some talk in the program about music synthesis. So we'll pass over the floor for some questions. Uh, while you think of questions, I'll just find some here to play for you. One question, Victor. Yeah. You, you just mentioned earlier on about that, that, that Yamaha would, would sue over uh, face distortion. Yeah. It, where would you see these new methods? Would they be uh, in competition? Well, I mean, a lot of these patents have run out now, so it is no, and there's no software patents, thank goodness. So um, until the until we can persuade the European Parliament not to go for the software patents, we're okay. We can do anything in software. But um, the plan, well, my idea for these things is that uh, they they uh, have to be they have to be open to because of my belief on open source anyway. But the, you know, the, open, the development science is in sort of showing these things, you know, publishing people knowing and pushing forward, taking the, the area forward. Anyway. Um, I'll just play, uh, this is uh, the modified FM vocoder. Now it's a, a, a kind of recording of uh, someone singing and heavily uh, auto-tuned by, by the vocoder. Hope it plays. So, um, it's my computer has seems to have a problem with the sound volume here. Uh, but um, yeah, that's uh, the kind of example of it. And do you have a, the VPS running here? <laughs> Okay, so if I show you um, PS synthesis. Okay, sorry, find them. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm removing the inflection point here to different positions. It produces this, uh, the spectrum of that is showing here. And interesting, you can do it in audio rate, in audio, do audio rate modulation of this inflection point as well to produce more further uh, kind of a different spectrum, so it's kind of a interesting. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, Victor, just uh, when you played the flute, uh, yeah. the, the synthesized one, there were some quite odd artifacts. Yeah, there. those are there's the, the pitch, uh, the pitch, uh, the artifacts were done by the pitch, pitch, um, the pitch tracking, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure if this is relevant. I know in feedback control systems there's a problem that may be similar. It is if you change from one mode of operation to another, there's this problem what they call bumpless transfer. You want to actually get from this to this without some big 
jerk and jump yeah. and getting the yeah. new regulation room. And I don't know whether well, something like that might be useful because it sounds like that sort of thing. It sounds like you're, you're operating in one yeah. mode and all of a sudden you want to switch to a new note or some other thing. Yeah. So what's happened there is the is when the flute is moving to another note, uh, the, the pitch tracker is kind of trying to follow it. It It, it is because that pitch tracker is not particularly good, but with better pitch trackers, you can just follow it much more smoothly. Um, the but it's not a kind of a. It's kind of odd to talk about pitch when you're actually switching, because it's actually jumping from one note to the other almost. It's not really like you're sliding from one note. Yeah, but in order for the the, the kind of a the pitch track, see the way this should work as well is that as the note gets changed, there is also a. Uh, you can also put an envelope that where you track. Where you track, say, the the amplitude change in the in the in the sound. So if the between one note and the other there's a little gap, then there will be no sound coming out, and then you are, you're in the next note, so you don't hear that. Uh, but if the notes are sliding from one to the other, then there will be an inevitable kind of a slide which can be then managed. So what we do is also we put we put in a um, we put in a kind of a filter so that the signal is moved. So any little fluctuation the signal gets sort of it gets moved out. Uh, that's also something that you need to do and you need to adjust with the pitch tracker. But it, that can become, because that's a kind of synthesizer effect as well. When, you, when you're playing on a monophonic synthesizer and you're jumping from one note to another, you can put in a glide thing that will glide your pitch to that. So you can adjust that to suit, given the fact that, given that this is kind of a musical, uh, it's, it's, not, it's kind of a musical application, it's not an, um, an application where there's uh, the requirement of kind of precision and uh, these things can be incorporated into the performance as well. Uh, but of course, this is a question of the pitch tracking. Uh, if you don't need to pitch track, then this, of course, this disappears completely. For instance, if you were to, say, record the sounds of a flute on a keyboard, so you know when you press a key, you know what the pitch is, that, then this pitch tracking disappears and you, you, have, you can then apply the effect as, as, as it is. So you, you need to do pitch tracking uh, to adjust uh, the carrier frequency, is it? Yeah, to keep, uh, you need to, so what we do there is basically we can, we, the pitch tracking has to adjust the modulation frequency so that you can have a, 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 the same carrier to modulator ratio. And, and when the pitch tracker doesn't work, work quite correctly, then that changes. And by, chain, by when you have a, a carrier to modulator ratio that is not a small ratio, or or even kind of a, uh, or even a ratio. It's a, an, an irrational number. Then it, it 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 sort of can have a kind of very wide band spectrum with lots of components. So that can happen as well in, when the when the pitch tracker doesn't follow the carrier so well. But you know, all these things can be adjusted and and kind of played with. Any more questions? I have one question now. Yeah. Techniques that you presented today, are these techniques being used in music production tools such as Cubase or at the moment? Well, FM, well, Joe would be probably uh, the best person to, to answer that uh, since he uses these kind of tools. <laughs> well, some of the, so some of what we've covered today is brand new, or you know, it's relatively new. So it's really available in kind of the open source music community, like through C-Sound. Okay. Um, uh, others, the, some of the older techniques that Victor mentioned are available in uh, as VST plugins, and they have maybe the usual enhancements for or kind of interface enhancements for you know the average musician user who's not really going to understand too much about basic functions. Yeah. They see written down. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, now, if somebody was interested in right in making um, a VST tool out of them. More than welcome. And it would give them well, there, there, have, there, there have been some projects around. Uh, yeah. the, I've just kind of uh, well, a month ago, I, I learned of someone in Italy who was doing some ad adaptive FM uh, mm -hmm. so a project with, for plugins and things, which I didn't know anything about before. Yeah, it kind of, you see, I suppose because, you know, with the, I suppose the internet now and everything is worldwide, you know, somebody far, far away could be actually implementing it and using it. And, you know, sometimes producers as well, you know, have sort of secret weapons in the studio that they, you know, they mightn't really tell people what they're using, but they have their own sort of sounds. Techniques. Just to get that kind of little bit different. Unique sounds. Yeah, yeah it all sounds the same as everybody else. And these are the sort of secrets only come out maybe five or six years later. Yeah. I've a little bit of experience using uh, speech synthesizers, yeah. and 
one of the limitations they have is the, getting the prosody right. What, what limitations does music synthesis have at the moment? To, uh, getting, uh, getting what, sorry, getting what right? So in sorry, uh, getting for for, for speech synthesis yeah, in terms of the prosody or intonation, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. you can find that particularly that slow rate starts to fall off. <clears throat> for music synthesis, I think the problem with music synthesis is control. Really, is it's how to sort of have uh, means of control that are good for musicians. For instance, you know, in this case, the VPS here, it's how you can get nice, interesting sounds and how you can get it, make it expressive for, uh, for, for, for users. Because there's so many synthesis techniques now, it's kind of a, the, state, the state of art in synthesis is really high in terms of what you can do. You know, it's such a, you know, in, you know this is a, the only small subset of things, but there's all the spectral techniques, all the filters and stuff that you can do. Uh, computers are so fast can do all sorts of adjective synthesis things. It's just a matter of controlling these things and having uh, interfaces that will be meaningful, musically meaningful. Um, I think that's the main, the main thing, really. Uh, and also that you know to allow the techniques to be kind of a flexible enough for these for various interfaces to be to use them to apply to be applied to them. Yeah. So that uh, a musician, for instance, that doesn't know anything about Bessel coefficients. Can say, oh, I have a meaningful parameter that that he that does something musically meaningful for him, and uh, or which is not, you know, you know, the that 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 is not like, oh, what is the spectrum? Let's pick up a pen and paper and calculate it. Uh, so you don't want that. You want something. So unless there's any more questions, well, thank Victor again. Thank you. Pleasure.